The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, 18-24. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing, it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I want to say something briefly before uh, we look at this passage. I want to thank the guys that do the sound and video because isn't it like, you know, when you have your iPhone or Android or whatever you use, and uh, if I'm just being, you know, out there, and, <clears throat> you know, you don't really notice it until it doesn't work. Uh, they are running back and forth all the time doing things so that we can worship, and we catch sometimes when it doesn't work, and then they fix it, but I just want to thank you for... Um, taking care of us, honestly, because that is one of those things that none of us would want to do, and we always feel like, oh, uh-oh. Um, hey, welcome this morning. My name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church on Music Row, and uh, it sounds like everybody who's gotten up has sinus stuff, just like me. Uh, we're all sniffling and, and things like that, so hope you're doing well this morning, not, uh, not contagious, so when you come take communion, don't worry about me. Um, <clears throat> But I'm glad you're here. I'd love to meet you if I haven't gotten to already. Um, you know, last night I, um, I got to go with a, a couple, few people, uh, maybe even in this room, that got to go to an 80s party. And um, I don't know if you've been to parties, like theme parties, like years, you know, 80s, 90s, those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> but it, it's really funny, and m- pretty much everybody there, I'm assuming, uh, grew up and lived through the 80s. It was a birthday party for someone else who was, you know, that was kind of the era. And so, you know, everybody's dressing up as kind of the big, like, what they remembered from the 80s, right? So, uh, Megan, my wife, had the greatest idea. We were going to be some of the pro wrestlers. She was Hulk Hogan. I was Randy Macho Man Savage. I mean, naturally. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, there were people, like, dressed in Ghostbusters uniform. You know, like, the, everything you think of, whether you love or hate the 80s, it was there. Uh, it was fantastic. And so, some of you don't hate on the 80s. You're like, 80s music, all that stuff. Quit hating on the 80s. is a good time, you know? Good years, those kind of things. But it is funny to see who dresses as what, because that's what they really think of. And maybe they research, like, 80s things. But that's, that was like the theme or something that jumped out to them <clears throat> that really latched onto a memory that defined that period for them, right? I mean, that, that defined it for them. Here's a thought. What if instead of going as something that was funny or culturally cool, if everybody at that party dressed up as a shameful or painful memory that they had from the 80s? Would anybody go to that party? Like, no, no thanks. Like, crickets, band wouldn't even show up. Like, can you imagine, though? Like, we go to parties like that, and we dress up, and we, and we get in those places that define those memories for us. But what if, what if we really did dress up and wear the things and come with the ideas of what really was shameful and painful to us? Because that's honestly what really defines us, isn't it? 
more than those other things, isn't it those incredibly painful things? You know, we're looking at a book called Galatians. It's actually interesting that as Christians, one of the things that we do, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or Christianity, <clears throat> maybe even are, if you, if you step back for a moment, we're reading letters from a man named Paul writing to churches about issues that they're having. And one in particular at this church um, called Galatia, in Galatia was that there were people coming behind Paul. He had started this church and he talked about the gospel. There were people coming behind him and, and saying that, man, what he's saying, he's not really, he didn't really have the right truth. Like what he's preaching to you isn't really a thing. It'd be like after, <clears throat> say, you know, we started this church and, and I leave and, 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 and a bunch of our staff leaves and people come in on the staff after this and say, look, look, the staff that was here before, they didn't get it right. Here's what you got to do to really live in Jesus, right? But it wasn't just like a turn, you know, a little deviation. It was, a, no, you got to do everything different. You got to take on all these things. And Paul's response in this letter to this church is first not to say, look, here's how you're wrong, boom, 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 boom. And he does list out some history and people and places that we're gonna look at for a moment. But you know where he really goes? He says, look at me. He puts on not the, not the proud things that define the church's history. He puts on the things that are shameful to him that define the gospel. He talks about his past. Listen, this one line in here that unpacks all of it. It says, they were only hearing it said. Now, this is the gossip of the day. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Look, they didn't have social media. They didn't have the photos. A lot of these people may not even know what Paul looked like, but they definitely knew what he did. And everywhere his name went, it was dressed in the clothing of shameful past that he lived in persecuting the church. And so what does he do to encourage them to say, you want to know what it means to turn back to this? I'm going to show you. I'm going to dress myself again in my past to show you my glorious present in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at two things from this that I think that Paul kind of draws out. The first is we, we really got to be honest about our fear of what we are really, what we're known for. Like our fear of what we really would be wearing at that party instead of the fun things and what people would really think of us. And I think the second thing is, how do we actually live actively in a freedom of being known? So a fear of what we're afraid of being known for, but, but, but also the freedom of who knows us and how we're really known. You know, Galatians is a letter, as I just said, he, He's, he's unpacking his credentials. He's trying to say, look, you, th this is essentially what they're saying. You made up this gospel. You probably heard it. You went to right after, you know, you didn't get this revelation from Jesus. In Acts, in Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul actually had the resurrected Jesus come to him. But they're all saying, no, 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 no. You probably went to Jerusalem. You heard the apostles somewhere. And now you're saying you're an apostle because you're taking this gospel that you were never walking with them. You were persecuting the church. You're a horrible person. Now you're just trying to use it in another way. So he begins to unpack this. We saw some of this last week, but now he's actually stating years. He starts to go, okay, let's get detailed. I'm going to try on my past. I'm going to come to the party in all the ways that you don't want me to so you can see the truth. He says in verse 18, then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is actually Peter's name in another account. 
and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Look, he's starting to say, look, I went up here, but it was far, three years after I saw Jesus resurrected. And not only that, I didn't see, I just hung out with Peter and James, the brother of John, uh, the Lord's brother, only 15 days, not even long at all, not long enough for me to sit under their tutelage and become like a, somebody who learned this stuff. He's, he's unpacking his past. But here's what's even more powerful. He says, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea there in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he used to persecute us. His reputation preceded him. It went out. They knew exactly who he was. And here's what his reputation was. And you can read it in Acts chapter eight and nine, but just a snippet. Imagine being a man who now is going to a place where he was not just persecuting, not just saying that Christianity is terrible, but he actually put to death people in cities for them believing in Jesus. And now he's putting himself in a position to actually say this stuff works. This person of Jesus is who he says he is. Talk about a difficult position for him to be in. To know that his reputation is this guy is a killer. In fact, when he comes to them, they're all afraid. It says in, in Acts chapter 9, when he comes, they're all afraid because he's not recognized by his face and what he's doing now. He's recognized by his past. And isn't that what we are all deathly afraid of? Look, I've recently gotten really involved. Megan was in this before me, so I have to admit this. This Is Us, the TV show. Amazing TV show. I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, you may have seen commercials for it. But it's really, the show is simple, and that's what's so beautiful about it. It's, it's actually a family, and it talks about them dealing with their past. And it constantly makes these jumps in the show about how their past makes up their present what they think of themselves, how it builds their relationship. It's fascinating. Like, this is not just something in our culture where we just think of, and, you know, as Christians, we just, now as Christians, we deny our past. Or we, we, we just kind of, uh, and, and if you read all the, the, the characterization of this in, in, the, in uh, psychology reports today, it's like, how, we're, how do we deal with our past? The TV show is beautiful because it really, it unpacks it. But it really unfolds the deepest fears that we have, not just of what has happened in our past, but the most shameful things that we've done. That's, that's what's so fascinating to me about watching shows like 30 for 30. You know, those ESPN documentaries that really take a person and maybe one or two events in their life and say, this is what defines them. And I remember sitting with uh, Megan watching one of those and her saying, wouldn't that be the most frightful thing is to have the world see you for this one thing that you messed up on or that you didn't do well in. And this is how we live. We live saying, oh, I shouldn't tweet that or did I like the right post? We define not just cultural people, but political figures by their terms and what they have or haven't done. And yet this is what we are so scared of happening to us. How do we define ourselves? How do we see ourselves? There's a great old movie, really hard movie, that said, we may be through with our past, but our past is never through with us. And we know that's true. We're trying to escape it in every way. What is your past? 
What is your past? What, what is the thing or things that you think of that you may not have done in confession just a minute ago, but if you were to wear that to the party, that is what you would be so afraid of when people would reject you. People would push away from you. We have to name those actual things. We have to understand that those things in our past are who we are. They're not, re- they're not things of, of rejection by the Lord, but they're things we're scared. Anyone would know us and for who we really are. We'd be pushed away. You know, the Bible spends an exorbitant amount of time talking, in particular, even the Gospels, the narrative accounts of Jesus, about those people that are labeled by the thing that they do, whether it's a tax collector, whether it's a prostitute, whether it's someone else in all of that, that region. It's, it's noticed, there, and there are kind of almost two kinds of people, the people that are labeled by the good things they do and t- try and promote themselves in that way, and then the people that have been labeled with the things that they just can't get out from underneath. They are a sinner, even, labeled. How do we in our church handle that kind of thing? If that is the way the gospel does, and who does Jesus argue with the most? The people that are trying to be so good. The people that label themselves as so good. Oh, I'm not like this person. I'm not like that one. Who are we kidding? Paul doesn't do that here. To encourage this church to go into this, he takes up his past in full. He doesn't deny it, and we don't get to see his emotional struggle with it. But he is taking up the reality that he has murdered people in the church. And now he's trying to become one of them. Does that make any sense to you? How would we treat someone if they were dressed in that way, of the way they treated the church or treated Christianity, and then they come to faith, what is that like for you? Does that push your buttons? What is that deep fear for you? What is the thing that you dress in day in, day out? And I love what Al Andrews said, the voices. Men, if you are able to come to that, by the way, I would love for you to. He's spoken before. I've heard him speak a number of times. Al is a counselor and a therapist and talks about the voices that we hear. And those voices are not just voices that are just made up. They're things because the defining things in our past, what is that for you? What is the shame? Is it that you live from a failed marriage? Maybe not just that you were cheated on, but you were the cheater. Do you live in such shame that you think you cannot be restored from that? That what we're talking about this morning is just for those people who are kind of can move on and get to the good stuff. Maybe you were not only just bullied, but you bullied people growing up. Maybe even now. And you're seeing the fact that God doesn't put up with bullies. But what does he do? He brings them in. Isn't that what Paul was? The ultimate bully. Maybe it's something else. I think the people in here that have struggled with addiction and the people that I've sat with that struggle with actual, didn't name it and are in it, things like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and other things, what is, what is the secret to those kind of things? I've gone to some of those meetings as I have that, that trail in my history with my family. And by God's grace, I see how it is so 
what it, what it works like and to go to those meetings to help understand what it's like to be members of my family. But what, is, what happens in those meetings? They name it. They don't run from it. People who actually struggle with addiction, be it sexual, be it alcoholic, be it something else, gambling, what is that thing that you live with that it is your name? And you think if you wore that to the party, the music would stop and the people would leave and you would be left exactly where you are afraid it would happen, your shame. Do you know this is what Paul is putting on? so that we know it is safe to go. Look, it, it even happens here in Acts, that the thing that, he, that we are so scared of, Acts chapter nine, verse 26, and when he had come, that is Paul, had come to Jerusalem, this is the narrative account of Acts and what we read in Galatians and what he's talking about. To, when he joined the apostles, they were all afraid of them because they did not believe that he was a disciple. Do we believe that the gospel good news of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to make anyone a disciple? Even you, even me. Of all the places that you are ashamed of, do we believe that? Paul incredibly lives in this freedom. And I love her, this song, um, by Brandy Carlisle, she, man, she can sing. Her voice is just, it, it, can, it can blast the doors off of this place. One of her songs called The Story is so good for us to think about. Listen, listen to these words, what she says. You see the smile that's on my mouth. It's hiding the words that don't come out. And all of my friends who think that I'm blessed, they don't know my head is a mess. No, they don't know who I really am. And they don't know what I've been through. But she finishes it by saying, like you do, and I was made for you. Look, there's something about that that is so rich in the way that we, we walk around with so much. Nobody knows the mess that I have. But where is the freedom? Where does Paul have freedom to talk about his past? Almost, he's not detached from it because you see later in other letters and in the gospel accounts, he's being faced, people are afraid of him. They're pushing him away all the time. He has to know and has to feel and experience what it's like to be a complete failure. But what does he do? He is so wrapped up and he continues to go back to, but I was made for you, I am yours. There's a freedom of being known somewhere for him. And how is it? How is he known? He's known for more than just what he's done. More than just his persecution. It's something else. And I want you to look with me. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter nine again. Because this is the actual account of Paul encountering not only the apostles, I mean the disciples, but this is this account here. But what turns a man like this? This is the description. They were only hearing it said, verse 23 of Galatians 1, he says, he used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. What turns a guy who actually has vehement, even in his upbringing, of wanting to destroy something he's now preaching publicly? What does that? I think it's a number of things. I think first, it's, it's the safety. 
What gives us freedom in that? It's safety. It is the fact that if you read here, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. What is the first thing you see here? It says, it says but Barnabas. That someone engages him, even knowing his actual reputation, engages the fact that there's something there. Barnabas doesn't know for sure, but he, he knows, he listens to Paul's story, and they still, and they're wondering, even in other accounts of this, is he coming in as a spy that he's gonna really ravage the church even more? Barnabas takes him. Somebody draws near to him so that everyone else knows he's safe. How do we react when we actually hear the reality of people's past in our lives? Do we, are we willing to draw near? Are we willing to believe that the faith of the Lord Jesus is actually more powerful than the persecution that we have done or that anyone else has done by showing how we draw near to people? Do we draw near to those who are in that place? Barnabas hears and affirms this in Paul. He doesn't put qualifiers on Paul. Isn't that what we want to do? It's, look, it's one thing, I'm not talking about, look, if we've been in an abusive place or abusive relationship or those kind of things, that we don't draw boundaries. Boundaries are healthy. But what, he's not, not doing that. But what he is doing is saying, look, this faith is real that Paul is talking about. We must talk to him. We must engage with him. We must lean into what he is bringing. Because what he was once trying to destroy is now what he's preaching. This is safety. There's something he's coming. He's putting, Paul is putting himself and Barnabas in a vulnerable position to care for him. To care for Paul in a place to know that he is saying there's something greater than his persecution. That his failure is actually his success. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard J.K. Rowling speak, but I remember she was asked, the author of Harry Potter, she was asked to speak at Harvard at one time as a graduation you know, ceremony, one of those speakers. And her entire um, talk was on how to be a failure. She is with the most successful one of those schools is sought after as one of the most successful schools to send students out into the world to be success, to change it. You want to change the face of the world. And what does she say? You got to be a failure. Fascinating speech. And then she doesn't just say, you got to be a failure. She says, here's how I was a failure. And here's how I am. She puts herself in that place. The, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel is this, is that Paul isn't denying his failure. He's carrying it with him everywhere he goes, but it is not his ultimate definition. It's something beyond that, and that it's safe to be with other failures. Are we displaying that? Are we displaying that we are all in the, that position? Are we qualifying everyone around us to be in a certain place in order to be a Christian? That's what Paul's saying. 
They don't put all these qualifiers on Paul and his faith. They bring him in. Because it's got to be more true than anything else. Look, there's a predominant idea in philosophy and in our, in our running in the current of our, our current world now that truth is something you make sense inside of you and that feelings are outside of you. I was just listening to um, Dr. Tim Keller, who is a great author and speaker. He actually named this as it is. We saw this as some of us uh, this last week. When he was speaking to a group of um, people in Dallas, Texas, he mentioned that. And it's, it's such a great reversal. We used to talk about everything we feel is in here and truth is out here, right? And we gotta try and line up the, our feelings with the truth. But now in our current current climate, it is more of the reverse. It is, we have truth in here and everything we feel and everything around us needs to tailor to the truth we have. But you see the holes in that, the difficulty of that is this, is what if that truth is off? How do you make sense of your past? How do you get past the ways that the truth doesn't line up with how you yourself are inconsistent with what you want to be, who you want to be? Look, the older I get, I come from a, a, a family of divorce. And the older I get, the more I see how when I was younger and I thought as a, and some of you may be from these families, and, and you grow up thinking how, how it's impacted you. And you'll, you'll never, I will never get a divorce. I'll never struggle with these things. I'll never be in that place. And the older I get, the more I see how foolish it is for me to think that what happened to my parents is, and that past is behind me and it doesn't line up with who I am. I struggle with my parents' divorce now more than ever. I struggle with what it's like to have broken relationships and to go visit them in separate houses even more now than I did then. To make sense of what it's like to navigate communication, relationship. It's even more complex, not less. I read an article about Brett Favre, who was a former quarterback of Green Bay Packers. And when he was finishing his career, USA Today did this spread on him and um, the impact that he had with his relationship with his dad. And it's really fascinating. He said, through the years, Favre's father could not bring himself to lift the throttle of coaching his own son because he was his coach when, when Brett Favre was growing up. He used to say things to his dad like, Dad, I'm a two-time NFL MVP. And his son recalls protesting with his dad after one of his games, after even winning the most valuable player award again. And his dad said, I don't care, you made a stupid throw. That's what his father shot back. And you know, his closest friend said, Big Irv as being, was tougher on Brett than any coach he ever had. He was just very hard on him. Very critical. We'd be in a room and his dad would nitpick and second guessing over and over for him. And when his father died, Favre said this, listen to this. I thought it would be a relief after he passed away and the dust settled and I got home, even though he'd been a pain sometimes. I realized it hadn't been that bad, but I'd lost something more valuable. There was always this little person on my shoulder pad saying, prove you can do this. And that lingering insecurity helps explain his longevity and that his enduring philosophy was this, you're only as good as your last pass. 
Do you know that studies show that one of the sweetest things a child can hear is when they're riding in the back seat from home from whether a game or some sort of recital and they hear their parents say this, I loved watching you out there. But you know what's true though? The tapes, the voices we hear are, you're only as good as your last pass. That's the real truth. You want to know what that reverse is? The truth is that's what we are and we try and tailor everything around us to try and calm our nerves, to deal with the guilt, to deal with the shame. But what Paul is giving us is something so much greater than that. He's saying the only thing is if there is one outside of you that loves you more than your past, holds you in the present and guides your future, And notice, they said in verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Because of me. Not because of his sermon. Not because of other things that he had done so well, but because of his past and the beauty of Jesus entering into it. Look, we're coming to a table right here that tells you exactly that very thing. That this truth of who we are in Jesus The faith that he is proclaiming is more powerful than anything else in your past. Any other person that can sit on your shoulder and define your life, he dresses you to be to that party. Coming to this table forces you to taste and see that you no longer, you can bring anything you want dressed up in that party. (laughs) All the shame, all the past, but you know what? You cannot leave this table dressed in the same garment. You can only be dressed in him. What brings a man to preach something that he once wanted to destroy? See, that's what the good news is. The good news is for all of you. Wherever your shame is, wherever you persecuted not only others but yourself, no matter where you thought you were defined as whether it be an adulterer, a cheater, an addicted person, whatever you want to label yourself as cannot be bigger and greater than the one who takes on flesh and puts himself in the crosshairs so that you can have a whole new identity in him. That is what Paul received. That's why they're glorifying God because of him, not because of what he said, but because look how deep and dark I really am and this is the one that defines me. That is Jesus. That's how we can preach the good news because it actually is good news in light of all the things we've heard in our lives. It's not on our shoulders saying, prove yourself. He was on the cross saying, it is finished. You are loved. I've spent so much time with people, and I want to say this before you come up here. I've spent so much time with people when I do counseling and, or just sitting with friends and just talking about this very conversation. When we talk about something hard, that it's something that you just want to get rid of in your life, that's what we want to do with our past. You notice Paul doesn't say that ever here? He doesn't get rid of the fact that he was an incredible persecutor and murderer of the church. 
You know what Jesus does with those parts of you that you hate, that you're like, if I just got rid of that, that this is what makes me a Christian. Uh-uh. It's the fact that Jesus comes in flesh to love you in every part you hate. That is Christianity. That's the good news. The good news is because it's good news in every part where you say it's horrible news for me. His news triumphs over that. You get to taste and see and experience that in reality.